Good morning. morning. (laughs) Welcome to Queen Anne Lutheran Church, a place of grace where uh, we proclaim the love of God in Christ for every person. A few announcements before we begin our service. First, as always, please be sure to silence your phones as a gift to yourself and to your neighbor. Second, please be sure, as always, to use sanitizer if you are receiving communion at the railing. Uh, And third, um, we have uh, additional safety protocols in place, uh, masks actually, and then communables. So if you wish to receive communion from the pew, be sure to have a communable from the narthex. There will be no children's message today. That will return next week. However, uh, my hope is that the message itself will be captivating. It's called, Woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel, based upon a line from our second reading. I invite you at this time, please, to rise as you are able for our gathering hymn, Praise the One Who Breaks the Darkness, number 843. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the and this communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord.
the peace from above and for our salvation. Let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Everlasting God, you give power to the faint and strength to the powerless. Make us agents of your healing and wholeness, that your good news may be known to the ends of your creation. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, the, the reading for the fifth Sunday of Epiphany. The Judeans in exile have a good reason to be hopeful. The one who will bring them to freedom is the God who created the world. 
the God who subdues rulers of the earth and gives strength to those who are weary. A reading from the book of Isaiah. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spread them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows upon them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, he who brings out their host and numbers them, calls them by name because he is great in strength, mighty in power, no one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, but the young will fall and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Word of God, word of life.
second reading from 1 Corinthians. God entrusted Paul with the responsibility of bringing gospel to diverse people. Hence, the focus of Paul's ministry is not his own rights or privileges as an apostle, but the privilege of serving God by freely sharing the good news of Christ with others. A reading from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me, and woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation I may make the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For I am free with respect to all. I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. Do the Jews become as a, as a Jew in order to win Jews? Do those under the law become as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law? To those outside the law, I become as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. Word of God, word of life. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, Lord. As soon as Jesus and the disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues 
and casting out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, the Creator, and from Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Thank you for your patience. It seems Murphy's Law is operative today. Um, I don't know what's wrong, but as you could tell, this mic is working and that mic is not. So we'll, we'll be sure to fix that. And Joan will yell out the prayers for, uh, for that portion of the, of the service. As I said at the beginning of the service, today's message is titled, Woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel, which is a line from Paul's uh, second letter to the Corinthians, uh, our first letter to the Corinthians that was our second reading for today. I don't know about you, but there is so much in our readings today that capture my attention. Notice, for example, the poetry of Isaiah. Take a look, if you will, at verses 22 to 23 in our first reading. There Isaiah writes, who, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing." Now, on the margin here, I wrote, wow. Wow. Poetry, which appears throughout the Hebrew Bible, is often lost to us today. Instead, we use the Bible to proof text, to show other people how they are wrong. What we're missing in the process is the beauty of Scripture. And Isaiah captures that well here. You might also consider the next verse, verse 24, where Isaiah says, Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. So he's talking about rulers of the world. When he blows upon them, namely God, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Wow. That is powerful, beautiful writing. Verse 24 here illustrates the disparity or contrast between God the eternal and human beings who come up like a flower and wither, as Job 14 says, whose lives flee like a shadow, people who do not, all of us who do not last. One of the things that uh, I find really problematic is when people reduce the Bible to a book of science. They miss the book of salvation the book that contains poetry and the message of grace. You might also consider Mark 1, our gospel reading for today. It too captured my attention. Like last week, here Jesus is a wonder worker who casts out demons. Verses 32 to 34 reveal that. That evening... Mark writes, at sundown, they brought him to all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door, the whole city, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. There is so much happening here. 
On the one hand, these aren't simply magic tricks on the part of Jesus. They are signs of God's impending salvation. They are symbols of the emerging kingdom of God that Jesus brings and announces. There's also something interesting here in the last verse that I read about how the demons were not permitted to speak. This is part of what's called the messianic secret. It's there in Mark and we have it also in Matthew. Why does Jesus constantly heal people only to tell them not to say who he is or to tell them to keep the the story quiet? Well, there are a couple answers to this. One is quite practical and that is perhaps Jesus was employing a strategy, right? After all, he already had the whole town uh, gathered at the door. The less people know about him, the more he is able to proceed with his ministry. But I think there's something else going on here. I think from a literary perspective, the so-called messianic secret, the, the secret that Jesus implies whenever he tells people to be quiet about a miracle, is, uh, is evident in the overarching narrative of Mark, such that you begin with mystery. By chapter 8, Jesus heals a blind man who at first can only see stick figures, and then after a second attempt can see visibly and clearly. That too is a symbolic reference to the growing clarity um, of revelation that is occurring in this text. When you get to the crucifixion and resurrection, you have a decisive um, uh, revelation of who God is in Christ and what God is doing, how God is suffering with humanity, how God is making accessible uh, the path to God. And then in the resurrection, you have this great moment where the women who are at uh, at the empty tomb are told to go back to Galilee to find Jesus. Well, where is Galilee? 16 chapters earlier, go back to chapter 1 and immerse yourself once more in the mystery. So this language of messianic secret may very well be a literary device the author of Mark is using to gradually um, um, make people aware of who Jesus was. Yet there's something more that captured my attention in today's readings, something beyond poetry and possession. And that something is one that they all, that is all our reading share in common. We hear it explicitly in Paul and by implication in Isaiah and the gospel. And that is this, the good news. They all contain the gospel. Now often you hear me talk about the gospel and there are a couple reasons for that. Number one, The Lutheran tradition following Martin Luther emphasizes it. Martin Luther said, in fact, that the message of justification by grace, that is the message of acceptance, uh, the message of reconciliation between God and world in Jesus Christ is the chief article or chief belief by which the church stands or falls. So this tradition from the beginning has emphasized that good news. In fact, Luther equates the gospel with the word of God. In 1521, he writes in his famous essay, The Freedom of a Christian, you may ask, what then is the word of God and how shall it be used since there are so many words of God? I answer, the apostle explains this in Romans 1. The word of God is the gospel of God concerning, drumroll please, his son, 
who was made flesh, suffered, rose from the dead, and was, to, and was glorified through the spirit that sanctifies or makes holy. To preach Christ means to feed the soul. And by soul here, <clears throat> I'm not talking about some ghostly substance that exists within you. I'm talking about your innermost being that speaks to your heart, makes it righteous, sets you free, and saves you, provided you trust the teaching. So you can see here how for Luther, the gospel uh, as the word of God is different than about, I don't know, 80 million Christians in this country, who instead of seeing the word of God as the gospel proclamation rooted in scripture, uh, simply say that scripture itself is the infallible word of God. This tradition from the beginning teaches something differently. The gospel, you might say, is God's word within the words. That message, that living proclamation that grasps us and transforms us, that preaches our acceptance by God, that sets us free. So that's the first reason I talk a lot about the gospel. As uh, Pat Kiefert, one of Cantor Kyle's seminary professors put it, Lutherans have a nose for the gospel, and there's a, there's a good reason. We've been practicing it for 500 years. The second reason I often talk about gospel, which as I mentioned earlier, I see in all three of our readings today, is that it's fundamental to my call. In a document called On the Use of the Means of Grace by the ELCA, uh, we read, the preaching of the God of of the crucified and risen Christ is rooted in the readings of the scriptures and the assemblies for worship. Called and ordained ministers bear responsibility for the preached word, which is the gospel, in the church gathered for public worship. In fidelity to the readings appointed for the day, the preacher proclaims our need of God's grace and freely offers that grace, equipping the community for mission and service in daily life. That's a long way of saying that my call to you as a congregation is to preach the gospel and administer the sacraments. That's what a friend of mine calls paying the rent from a Lutheran perspective. The idea being that uh, it is fundamental to my call. It might be helpful accordingly if we reflect on the meaning of the gospel, given its importance in the Lutheran tradition, as well as given its basis as my call to Queen Anne Lutheran Church. What is the gospel? How do we define it? And how might we apply the gospel to our daily lives some 2,000 years after the New Testament was written? Now, in sermons past... I've defined the gospel broadly as the good news, or as Luther puts it, the glad tidings, the message of God's mercy and grace that one should shout from the rooftops. This is the message that set Luther free. It's the message that potentially can set any of us free from the gnawing expectations of culture or from the law as it appears in the Old and New Testaments, both of which show us our lack our inadequacy, our need for grace. They reveal to us our brokenness, our turned inwardness, our disposition living only for ourselves. The gospel reverses all of that and says, God has claimed you. God has set you free. Now do these things not because you're required to do them, 
but out of gratitude for what God has already in Christ done for you. Turns out, however, that things are a little more complicated. Indeed, according to Mark Allen Powell of the HarperCollins Bible Dictionary, the word gospel came to have at least four connotations in the New Testament and the early church. Now, over the next two and a half hours, I'm going to describe in detail each of those four meanings of the gospel. Not to worry, let's try maybe 10 more minutes. What's fascinating, as I said a few moments ago, is that our readings for today uh, not only contain the gospel, but they contain all four meanings of the gospel. So let's briefly have a look. The first way of understanding the gospel is to define it as the content of Jesus' preaching. The content of Jesus' preaching. Mark 1.14 captures this perfectly. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Here we're talking, as I said, about the message of Jesus, which we find referred to in verses 38 to 39 of our uh, gospel reading for today. Let's take a look. Jesus answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also. For what it, that is what I came out to do. And he sent, or he went throughout Galilee proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out their demons. So his purpose, his call, his vocation was to proclaim the good news, not only in word, but in deed. The healing stories of the New Testament are symbols of God's impending salvation, are symbols of God's emerging kingdom, which is defined by wholeness, restoration, and reintegration. Mark Allen Powell links it to our first reading as well. He writes... Here, the use of the gospel is similar to the one in Isaiah. Jesus is announcing what God is about to do, and the message of impending salvation is called gospel or good news. Check out for a moment Isaiah 40, verses 27 to 29, your first reading. There the author writes, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Now listen to this. Here's the gospel. He gives power to the faint. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Power to the faint strengthens the powerless. That is a promise, the message that Jesus preached as well, that God's kingdom will not only provide healing and restoration, but also strength and empowerment. This text, incidentally, was written just before the Jews were about to be freed by the Babylonians. Um, the gospel writer, or I'm sorry, the, the, the author of Isaiah uh, talks repeatedly about what it, God is about to do, uh, given the fact that their freedom is soon to become a reality. The second meaning of the gospel is not the message of Jesus, it's the message about Jesus, one where the messenger became the message itself. And we see evidence for this in the writings of Paul. Here, 
preaching the gospel focuses on the death and resurrection of Christ and on the benefits faith in Christ has for believers. So note that. The good news here is not about the impending kingdom of God, the preaching of Jesus. It's about Jesus himself insofar as he overcame sin and death through the crucifixion and resurrection. Take a look at your second reading now. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 22b through 23. I have become all things to all people, Paul writes, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. The gospel. Again, the message for Paul about Jesus how Jesus conquered sin and death through his own death and resurrection. This is the cornerstone of Paul's preaching. How Jesus makes uh, life in the world to come a possibility for human beings. We read it uh, in Romans 8, 38 to 39, which says that nothing, not even death, can separate the love of God in Christ Jesus. For those of us who are bereaved, for those of us who mourn, that is the message to which we cling, that love is ultimately stronger than death. Now, the first meaning of the, message, uh, of the gospel is that it's the message of Jesus. The second meaning, which I just described, is the message about Jesus, specifically focusing on his, cro- on his death and resurrection. You can probably guess the third. Here, the gospel is a combination of the two the message of Jesus, as well as the message about Jesus. It refers to preaching that includes what Jesus had said was the good news about God and what Christians had said was the good news about Jesus. So it's both and, message and man. We have evidence for this in the book of Acts chapter 10, which was written in the latter part of the first century. So you can see a development here. The preaching of Jesus, the preaching about Jesus, the preaching of and about Jesus in the emerging late first century church. Listen closely. Then Peter began to speak to them. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. So there's the message of Jesus. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus, which is to say how God chose Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So there we have a message about Jesus. You can see then how the two are combined. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. We are witnesses to all he did, Peter says. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day. So notice the crux of the gospel here, death and resurrection of Christ. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God, message about Jesus, as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So in order to make sense of who Jesus was, first century Christians looked back to the Hebrew Bible and saw how it conformed with their experience of God in Christ. That's the basis for uh, talk like what we just heard. So there you have it. Quotation four.
There you have it. The message of Jesus, message about Jesus, and then the message of and about in a single passage. Now, the last meaning of the gospel is more straightforward than the previous three. Here, the gospel simply refers to the books that offer in written form what had been previously proclaimed orally. And this, I say, has been the source of confusion for undergraduates in religious studies and theology for centuries. And that is, they have trouble distinguishing between the Gospels, capital G, from the Gospel, which I just uh, defined. But this is the last meaning. So we have the preaching of Jesus, the preaching about Jesus, the preaching of and about Jesus, and finally the books that contain this preaching as evident in our Gospel reading for today. Whew! It's pretty interesting. But how does it apply to our lives now? How does the preaching of Jesus speak to us? How does his message, based upon the book of Isaiah, according to Luke 4.18, reach our ears? Listen closely. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, as the opening words of his ministry in the Gospel of Luke quoting the book of Isaiah, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Message of Jesus, message of Isaiah. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, most scholars now believe that Jesus... uh, Jesus' public ministry occurred on a jubilee year, which in Jewish tradition is where the debts of those who owe are forgiven. So Jesus is talking about not only the good news spiritually, but the good news materially. Here's my question to each of you. Who among us today needs to hear this promise? Who among us feel that we are captive, whether it's to our digital devices whether it's to drugs or alcohol, whether it's to obsession. How do we experience captivity? And how does this message that Jesus came to free us, that Jesus came to liberate us, speak to you today? Who more broadly needs to hear this good news when it comes to the material promises of Christ? Who are the captives in our world? I think, for example, of hostages still uh, being held in Palestine. I think of people across the uh, terrain of Central and South America who are held captive by gangs and drug lords. These are the people who need to hear the political implications of the gospel, as Martin Luther King once put it, that the gospel is not only meant to address our spiritual captivity, but also, quite literally, to address the material uh, um, captivity of the poor, of the enslaved, and of the oppressed. You can probably imagine many other examples. My point is this. In both cases, the preaching of Jesus has relevance. It speaks to our present situation. In my own experience, I've noticed over the last couple of years that my attention span is starting to diminish. And I am absolutely positive it is because I am almost addicted to my cell phone. I think about how often I check it each day, and then I think back 
to life before 2015 when I didn't have a smartphone, where I was freer, whereas now I'm more bound. This is what I love about the Christian faith. It gives me a vantage point from which to say, that is not what God wants for our lives. We are called to freedom, as Paul says in Galatians 5, not to be captive to our devices, not to be captive to our other addictions, but to be set free, to be liberated by a loving and gracious God. What about the message concerning Jesus himself, the message about Jesus, how he suffered death but then overcame it in the resurrection? Well, I think here of Romans 8, 38 to 39, which I believe was Jimmy Porter's uh, confirmation verse. This is where, as I mentioned earlier, the Apostle Paul says that nothing, not even death, can separate us from what I would call the invincible love of God in Christ Jesus. And I saw it for myself. I saw it in the last encounter I had with my mother, where for a moment she opened her eyes, recognized me, and smiled, and a tear came down at the same time. That's love and, and death. Uh, love is as strong as death, the, the, uh, the writer of the Song of Songs says. In the life of the world to come, however, love is stronger than death. Love promises reunion. Love promises that the separation we experience as bereaved will be overcome. Love promises that this is not the end, that there is more in store for us in the beyond. Here, Cantor Kyle has proved himself to be a pretty darn good Lutheran theologian as well. If you take a look at what he wrote about the music for today in the back of your bulletin, you'll hear a concise, perfectly stated consolidation of the gospel. Listen closely. We may, I keep saying that. How about, just listen. We may never understand why we must endure physical or emotional suffering. And it's true. Even as a pastor and a theologian, I constantly find myself asking why in those contexts. So we may never understand why we must endure physical or emotional suffering. But then notice the parenthetical apart from understanding that we live in a fallen world in need of redemption. So when my mother died, or when I attend to those who have experienced a similar loss, my message is this. This is not what God wants for us. This is the result of a fallen world. This isn't part of some mysterious plan where God had to draw one of our loved ones back to God, as I have heard to my personal disgust many times in funeral homilies and eulogies. But in Christ, we know, and this is incidentally why Paul calls death the enemy of God, it's, an expressive, it's expressive of our fallen condition. But in Christ, we know that God is with us because the incarnate second person of the Trinity has truly experienced pain, human pain, firsthand. So here, the good news first is that, I got, is that God identifies with our suffering. God accompanies us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God is with us. Nothing can separate us from God in this regard. God identifies with the human condition even to the point and through the point of death. 
This incidentally runs against about 1,500 years of classical Christian theology, which insisted that God cannot suffer because suffering, it said, was an imperfection. Not at all. Here we have God as the fellow uh, sufferer who understands. More than that, we hold fast to the promise uh, Kyle continues that Christ Jesus, it's strange, I said this in the first service, to hear yourself being quoted, isn't it? All right, sometime you can be up here and quote me. I would love that. That would be great. Actually, don't, because I don't know what you would be quoting. Probably be a lot of listen closelys, and we don't need to get into that. More than that, he writes, we hold fast to the promise that Christ Jesus overcame suffering and even death itself for us through his resurrection. So this is called Christus Victor or Christ the victorious champion. Lutherans are not bound to the older Anselmian view that says Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. Instead, as expressed especially in our hymnody, we see the death and resurrection as God in Christ identifying and then overcoming our condition of mortality and sin. Indeed, the Lutheran tradition teaches that in Christ there is a happy exchange, such that through his death and resurrection, we receive what belongs to God through Christ, and God in turn receives what belongs to us. So there's an exchange, immortality for mortality, new life for the end of life, holiness in place of sin. God takes all of those things into God's self, and gives to us what belongs to God. That to me is uh, perhaps the best expression of the gospel. Uh, Reference to Christ Jesus, who not only uh, identifies with us in pain, suffering, and death, but also overcomes it as the first fruits of God's uh, resurrection or new creation uh, in the resurrection itself. So it's helpful, I think, to know the different meanings of the gospel. We heard them today. The preaching of Jesus, the preaching about Jesus, the preaching of and about Jesus, and then the book that contains the preaching of and about Jesus. I think it's helpful because it's not only clarifying, and I think it's helpful not only because it it assists us to see and find and recover the gospel in the Old Testament as well as the New, but I also think that it's important so we can see better how in various ways the good news of God in Christ applies to us. One of my mentors used to say, the gospel is good news for people in bad situations, for people who feel captive or who people, for people who directly experience captivity. May God's word, that is the message of hope and liberation, grace, peace, and reconciliation speak to each of us this morning. May it inspire us, and may it give us peace. Amen.
Let us now confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For the prayers of the church, we invite you to be seated or to kneel. I can get you a wireless mic, or do you want to just... As we celebrate Christ embodied in human form, we pray for God's blessing on the church, the world, and all of creation. Everlasting God, you bring your healing power to the church. Give your church a spirit of unity and prayer that, empowered by the gospel, we may glorify you through service to others. Lord, in your mercy. Creator of the ends of the earth, you are the power that makes grass grow. and brings rain to the soil. Help us restore your creation into harmony and balance. Inspire us to honor the miracle of all you have made. Lord, in your mercy. God without equal, your steadfast love endures forever. Guide leaders to put their constituents before themselves. Help them serve with compassion and understanding. Lord, in your mercy. God, who gives strength, you accompany any who are suffering. Heal those who are brokenhearted. Strengthen the weak and all in need. Lord, in your mercy. God, who gives power to the faint, challenge us to share the faith stories of what God has done in our lives. Open us to receive the unique ways God is at work among us at Queen Anne Lutheran Church. Lord, in your mercy. For whom or what else do the people of God pray? I give special wishes for healing for Bill, my spouse, and Marilyn Fuller, a close friend. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Holy God, we pray this morning for each person gathered here, that you bless them and keep them, that your good news may reach them, that you free them from captivity for new life, 
life abundant to which we are called. We pray especially for those today who are uh, undergoing or have undergone surgery. We pray for those uh, among us who uh, are facing difficulties and challenges. We pray for the family of Jan Sorensen, the wife of the late Pastor Reuben Sorensen who passed away several days ago. Bless them and keep them, be present to them. We pray as well for Paul who dislocated his hip that you might heal him. We pray for the rest of those uh, listed in the bulletin that you be with each of them and carry them through uh, uh, now and each day after. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God, who calls each star by name, we remember all who have died. Grant us hope in your promised salvation. Lord, in your mercy. Knowing the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, we offer these prayers and the silent prayers of our hearts in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please rise as you are able. The peace of Christ be with you always. Let us share a sign of that peace with one another. Please rise as you are able for the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right, our duty and our joy, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you, almighty and merciful God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. By the leading of a star, he was shown forth to all nations. In the waters of the Jordan, you proclaimed him your beloved son. And in the miracles of water turned to wine, he revealed your glory. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn.
In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it for all to drink saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. Kingdom, power, Amen. In this place of grace, all are welcome to receive the Eucharist at the table of grace. If you are communing from the rails, again, please be sure to use sanitizer. Uh, I will also direct you in a moment uh, if you're receiving communion from the pew. Earlier in today's forum, we heard about consubstantiation, which is what Lutherans taught regarding the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Unlike the Catholic Church, which, which maintains that there is a change of essence or substance uh, such that the bread and wine become the body of Christ and blood of Christ, Lutherans, particularly Luther, teach that Christ is already present. Christ is present in all things, but he is not present, Luther says, for you. Only where he has been promised does he come to us in a special way, a consoling way, a loving and forgiving way. At Jesus' table, heaven and earth are joined as one now. Come and see. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. You may be seated.
please rise as you are able for our post-communion prayer. Giver of every gift, Christ's body is our food and we are Christ's body. Raise us to life by your power for the benefit of all and to your glory, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated for announcements. Once more, good morning. It is wonderful to see each of you here. We have several people who will uh, offer an announcement today, and the first is our cantor and fellow theologian, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. I see your uh, There's a, another pickup choir opportunity coming where you just come gather in the back, and we'll make some music together in preparation for the 1030 service and present it there. That's the 18th of February, the first Sunday in Lent. So I hope to see you there. There's a sign-up sheet. It's really, really helpful. If, if you know you'd like to participate in that way, sign up out in the narthex. Thank you. I have two announcements. I'm the one to be blamed for turning the speakers off. Oh. <laughs> I went upstairs into the sound booth. There was a device that whenever that obnoxious noise, there would be blinking red lights. I don't like blinking red lights. <laughs> so I turned that device off, hence the lack of speakers. My understanding is that the microphones, whether it was the pastors or this lectern mic, are operating just fine, which means that this service is re being recorded. So if you didn't hear anything, <laughs> wait until sometime later in the week. The service will be put on the church website. Please make use of that. The second announcement is something that's in your worship folder on page 15 in the middle of the page. I was reticent to have this advertisement because normally the advertisements that we do in this church are about this church, Queen Anne Lutheran, or our greater synod, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. This has nothing to do with either. <laughs> um, this is a concert that's a benefit for an organization that I've been involved with for, well, this is my 47th year with the Compline Choir, a, a group that sings every Sunday night at St. Mark's Episcopal to do a particular kind of service called the Compline Service. This choir is going to go to England in August. We're trying to raise money. I'm paying my own way, so this concert will not necessarily benefit me directly. It'll, de it'll benefit some of the choir members who are not as fiscally fortunate as I am. We're doing music of the person who started the choir 
back in 1956, Peter Halleck, who was the organist and choir master at St. Mark's Episcopal for 40 years. I had the good fortune to be under his direction for 32 years. So I knew Peter when he was alive and got to experience his music in a much more personable, personal way than what you'll probably get at, this, at the concerts this coming 24th and 25th, evening of the 24th, uh, afternoon of the 25th, same concert both times. But Peter's music is quite unique. Uh, the choir has done some of his psalm settings, not recently, but in previous years we've sung them. But Peter's done more than just psalm settings. He's done amazing amount of music of which I've enjoyed performing at the Compline service and in other venues. I hope you can help us out. Your presence would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Just a couple other quick announcements to highlight. Uh, first, uh, a thank you to uh, Dr. Lynn Hofstad, who's joining us as well for worship, uh, who started the first of a, actually the second of a three-part series on women and the Reformation. Dr. Hofstad will join us next week as we talk about, uh, as she talks about, uh, contemporary uh, Lutheran feminist theologians, which I think will be a fantastic uh, presentation. So please join us if you can next week from 9 to 10 a.m. in the conference room. Uh, Dr. Hofstad is also going to be our speaker for the Women's Lenten Breakfast. So that occurs on February 17th. If you are able, please join us. I wanted to say one quick word about the uh, midweek um, services and uh, uh, forums during, uh, starting in Lent. So Ash Wednesday is right around the corner, February 14th. We will be joined by some members of Magnolia Lutheran Church as they are not observing it at their, at their congregation. All are invited to either service or even both. We have one at noon in the chapel and then here in the sanctuary at 7.30. Then uh, in, on the following Wednesday, we begin a five-part midweek supper discussion and Compline series uh, called The End of Life, A Multi-Faith Perspective. And the speakers we have lined up now for this uh, series are really fantastic. We start with Beatrice Lawrence of Seattle University. She'll talk about the end of life from a Jewish perspective. Then we'll go to Ballard First Lutheran and hear about the end of life from Pastor Eric Wilson, a Christian perspective. Then we'll come back to Queen Anne Lutheran where we will hopefully hear uh, a Muslim perspective uh, on the part of someone who deals with uh, her own mortality given a certain illness every single day. And then finally, we'll return to Ballard First Lutheran to hear from a Native or from several Native American perspectives. The last uh, session is back here for a roundtable discussion on the end of life, a multi-faith conversation. So please join us. And if you want to fill your calendars on Wednesday, Thursday during Lent, you're also invited to join us for the live project where I will be co-teaching uh, a series on Bonhoeffer and 
James Baldwin. Uh, that is free to Queen Anne Lutheran Church, thanks to uh, a wonderful donation from the Christian Education Committee. Uh, everyone here is invited to attend via Zoom. The promo code is listed in your bulletin. Are there any other announcements for the good of the congregation? Yes, please. Thank you, Mark. Please rise now as you are able for the benediction. You leave this sanctuary to re-enter a world in need of the good news. Be that good news to others. Be Christ to others and seek Christ in others. And now may the God who names you, Christ who claims you, and the Holy Spirit who remains in you bless you and keep you always. Our sending hymn is Go, My Children, With My Blessing, number 543.